Well, one thing that we're about as a church is this. We're about becoming a people in a place of continuous renewal where revival never ends. And as we lean into that, as we step into that territory more and more, we have to tap into the richness of, of God's revelation to us in the Scriptures. we just got to anchor ourselves again to what God has already said through the Holy Spirit in His Word, and then take it out of here, take it out of these walls, and, and let it expand and multiply uh, in our city and in our world. To get there, I want to talk to you today about something called honor. That's the only thing I want to talk to you today about. It's about honor and what it means to be a people who live in an honorable way. And I think that the word honor is a word that has to be rediscovered in our time, in our culture. I don't think we pay much attention to honor anymore. It's easy to be unhonorable. It's rare that you see people honoring one another. Uh, But it's just as important now as it ever was that we would be a people who live by the value of honor. And when we do... It brings out the best in us. It allows us to become a people who can live in continuous renewal where revival never ends. In fact, honor is often seen with other words like nobility and generosity and royalty. There's a nobleness about being an honorable people. And when honor is present, you'll always find people looking for ways to impact others, looking for ways to be a blessing. So if we can know what honor is all about, I think that we can take everything to the next level. We can take our faith to the next level. We can take our generosity to the next level. We can take our serving to the next level. So with that in mind, I want to invite you to turn to Malachi chapter 1. That's our main passage here this morning. I'll highlight a few other passages we're going to get to. Genesis chapter 4, story of Cain and Abel. Proverbs chapter 3, we'll get there eventually. Isaiah chapter 60. And we may bounce around in Matthew 22, 23. Not sure yet. I've got to read the audience. We'll see how, how things go as we get along there. And we're in the third of a four-part series here of messages looking at biblical ways that we can engage to make a kingdom difference in our city, region, and world. And if you remember the first message in the series, it was about increasing our faith, taking our faith to the next level. And I remember that service very well a couple of weeks ago. There was a sense of God's presence very strong upon us. And we did that first offering declaration. And the next week I had you stand up if your lives were changed. And we had about 40, 50 people stand up saying that their financial lives went up in one week. Right after we prayed and declared some truths over the offering. And I really believe that God wants to bless us more. I, I don't think that we can even imagine how much God wants to bless us in all areas of our lives. And then in our second message, we looked at taking our serve to the next level. So last week, a whole bunch of you responded on this. Way to go. And we had another 40, 50 people step forward to serve in new ways. And uh, you can still do that even this week if you want to. And we appreciate that. And we celebrate those steps that you're taking. And then today, we're looking at honor from another perspective. Uh, We're looking at increasing uh, in our stewardship, but it's going to be tied to this whole value of honor And when we live lives of honor, we become filled, we become fearless, and we become blessed. But here's the reason why we need to be a people of honor. It's simply because God deserves it. I mean, think about who God is. Think about what he's like and how he shows himself in our lives. Honor starts with our whole view of God. And in Malachi chapter 1 at verse 6, We read this, it says, A son honors his father, and a slave his master. 
If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me, says the Lord Almighty. And then God describes himself in verse 14, chapter 1. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. So we're talking about honor here. We're talking about a heart posture of reverence and deep respect and awe towards God. And there's a lot of different attitudes that people have towards God. Um, People love God. They appreciate God. um, They are thankful to God. They even enjoy God. All of those are good. But honor is something a little bit different. Honor is at at another level. And when we really move into the territory of honor, here's what happens. We, our lives do become filled up. We do become fearless in life. Nothing shakes us. And then we become blessed. So how would you like to have a life that is full? I mean, so full that you can't even deal with all the blessings that God's given you. They're just sort of rolling out of your life and spilling into the lives of others. How would you like to live a life without fear? when it comes to, say, financial realities? How would you like to not lose one hour of sleep thinking about your economic, personal condition? Wondering, you know, will I have enough resources to to make that big decision? Am I going to make it on my financial commitments? Will Will we be able to do at Christmas what we normally do? Can we continue to support our friends who are international workers, even though my wage was cut? Or what will happen to us if we don't get that bonus or if we don't get that raise in pay. There's a lot of potential fear in people's lives. And uh, in the region that we live in, I think a lot of people, especially people who are not of faith, are, are kind of capitulating right now to the pressures of financial realities. I want you to know something, and it's this, that you can live without fear financially. You don't have to lose any sleep about money matters. You really don't. It will require God's wisdom. You've got to make some wise choices but it also happens if and only we are really honoring God. And so if you really want God's favor upon your life, his favor upon your future, your career, your business, your education, your family, your your marriage, or your future marriage, or your home, then honor is what will get you there. Honor is like that spiritual posture that prepares us to receive incredible blessing from God. So what exactly is honor? Well, in this passage here in the Bible, uh, it's a very interesting wordplay going on here. Uh, When God says, you know, where is the honor that is due me? He's using a word that is usually translated as glory. It's the Hebrew word kabod. And uh, most of the time in the Old Testament, the word honor shows up as glory, as kabod. And it's a description of God's presence, his tangible, awe-inspiring presence presence, that there's glory in God. But sometimes there's even a dimension of glory upon our own lives. Proverbs 22 verse 4 says, humility is the fear of the Lord. Its wages are riches and honor and life. In other words, if you're a humble person, here's the payoff. You get to be a person of honor, of kabod, of glory. And honor means in this passage, dealing with the issues of the glory of God. I found that so fascinating when I dug into it. God is saying, where is the glory that is due my name? Where is the honor that I'm supposed to get? 
And then we jump over to the New Testament, we see that the word honor also in many places is translated as glory. It comes from the word doxa. We get doxology from that. And it means the splendor, the majesty, the brilliance of God's manifest presence. It's something that God even shares with us to a degree in this lifetime, that he puts his glory upon us. In fact, the original condition of humanity is this. We've fallen short of the glory of God. We're made to live in the glory. We're supposed to be encompassed by the glory of God. And I don't know if you realize this or not, but you have been given a measure of glory. You have. It's on you as a believer. You didn't earn it. We certainly don't deserve it. But it's, it's, a, it's a grace that comes upon our lives as part of God's gift to us when we become his people. When we step into his, his covenant relationship, when we, when we embrace salvation through his son Jesus, there's glory that is put upon our lives. And you might say, well, I don't know if I, if I fully agree with that because isn't there a verse in Isaiah somewhere that says, God says, I will not share my glory with another? There is, but you're not another. And in the context here, he's talking about false idols. God will not share his glory with those who are into false idolatry. But there is glory upon you, and we're going to see why that glory is there in a moment. But let me just highlight a few verses for you. Isaiah chapter 60 At verse 1, arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord, the kabod, the density of his presence, rises upon you. Darkness covers the earth, thick darkness is over the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you, and his glory, his kabod, his honor, rests, appears over you. That's not the only place. I was just reading in my daily devotions yesterday it came upon this psalm 149 the last verse it says this is the glory of all his faithful people there's glory on god's people the glory is that we're a joyful worshiping advancing nation of believers that's who we are and then over in the new testament we have these descriptions of glory being upon the believer i want you to turn to romans chapter 8 If you can get there fast enough, I'm not going to spend long here. Romans 8 at verse 30, this is the description of those who belong to God, all of the people who have been indwelt by the Holy Spirit. It says this, and those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. It's happened. Have you been justified? Yes. Have you been glorified? Yes. More to come? Yes. But the glorification has already started. There's glory upon you. And one more passage here. It's just so good. It's in John 17, the high priestly prayer of Jesus. Chapter 17 of John, verse 20. He says this, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Hint, that would be you and I. (laughs) That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Verse 22, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. Wow. Think about the glory that the Father gave to his Son in eternity. That same glory, according to the Bible here, has been given to us by Jesus. That kabod, that doxa, that honor, that endowment of God's 
splendor and majesty. He's, he's sharing it with us. No, we don't deserve it. We have not earned it, but it's resting upon us. So how do you live with glory in your life? Well, first of all, you just need to realize it's weighty. <laughs> it will require a certain posture of, of humility and surrender to stay in and under that sense of God's transcendent glory. Also, we're to display it. God wants us to be attractive. This is what gives us sort of that attraction in the eyes of others is that there's something different about us. And we say, well, that is true. It's God. His presence is upon our lives. And so we are to release this attractiveness of God's glory through our lives. And at the end of time, what we find we're supposed to do is we're supposed to give God back that glory. In Revelation chapter 19, you can glance there if you want, we have the statement there, let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, verse 7. In other words, in the heavenly worship service, the giving of glory to God happens in a repeated way. They never get tired of it. They just continue to just pour out the glory and the honor upon the Lord. That's heavenly worship. In Revelation chapter 4, it tells us that the elders there, the 24 elders, come before the Lamb, and they take off their crowns and put them before the Lord. It's a statement of glory. Here's the thing. You know, why are we looking at this sort of side road of glory here? What's it got to do with Malachi chapter 1? Quite a bit. We have to realize that there's a degree of glory upon our lives. And so when God says to his people in Malachi... Where is the honor that is due my name? Where is the glory that you should be bringing me? The understanding is we have some glory to give to God. We never earned it. We don't deserve it. But it's there because we're believers. Because he, he shares his, his goodness with us and his love and his presence. So that's why God's asking in Malachi, who's going to honor me? Who on earth is going to bring me my glory? Who's going to release to me the glory that is due my name. Now, as we get a little bit more tangible here in Malachi, we'll see that he's talking about something connected to an expression of worship that's actually showing up in the area of offerings. How do you practically honor God? How do you practically express to him a tangible gift that brings him glory? It's found in bringing him his portion. And there's other ways that we honor God and glorify him. We honor him in worship. We honor him in in obedience and sacrifice and testimony and all of that. But in a special way, in this little book in the Bible, it tells us that we bring glory to God through offerings. It's quite a stunning thing, isn't it? And that's because God is a king. And as a king, he's saying, I just want what kings get. I want to receive the honor that is due me. And they all understood what that was all about. They heard the story of when Abraham, their father in the faith, was coming back from the battle of the kings and he bumped into a guy named Melchizedek. This is recorded in Genesis 14 and in Hebrews chapter 7. It gives you another version of it. Abraham's coming back from the battle of the kings and he, he meets this amazing ruler in the area. His name is Melchizedek. The writer of Hebrews says he was the king of righteousness, the king of peace, resembling the Son of God with no beginning of days or nor end of days. So you do the math. You think about who he might be. He is at least a theophany appearance of God on earth, 
or he's a representative, a symbol, a type of the Christ who was to come. One of those two. Abraham meets Melchizedek, and instinctively, he wants to honor him as a king. What does he do? The Bible says he gave him the tithe. He gave him one-tenth of all the spoils of battle. 1,500 years later, in Malachi's day, God is saying to his people, Hey, I'm a king too. <laughs> you know, and I, I'm waiting for tribute. I'm waiting for your honor. I'm waiting for you to express to me the value that you put upon life, the value that you put upon me. I am a great king, God says. Now, who can say that and get away with it? Have you ever heard someone say, I'm so great? I remember watching Muhammad Ali. That's how old I am in the 70s. Going, I am the greatest. And he was the greatest boxer. Perhaps the greatest athlete of the last 125 years. There's debate on that, but he may have been it. He said he was the greatest. But he's no longer with us. He's, his life is over. He's not as great maybe as he said he was, but he was sure a good boxer. When God says he's the greatest, he's not speaking from a human perspective. There's no one that compares to God. God is ultimate. God is everlasting. Um, God is eternal in nature. There's no one that can even sit beside him and compare to him. No one at all. When God says, I am the greatest, he's saying that for our benefit. He doesn't need us to bring him glory. But he knows this. When we do, our lives get radically blessed. And so for our sake, he invites us into this experience of giving him honor, of giving him glory. You know, in Malachi's day, um, they were people busy just like you and I. They were building houses, settling down. This was the remnant who had come back from the Babylonian captivity of 70 years. This is actually second generation in, more likely. Uh, they've been in the promised land again for several decades. They've rebuilt the temple, except they didn't quite finish it off. Not totally, almost, good enough. And then they kind of took their attention away from being a covenant community and just being a people. And they got really busy with their own jobs and careers and, and homes and families and all of that. And they were still gathering together, but there was kind of a, a minimalism going on in their worship. They're just, you know, we need God, but let's just sort of make sure that, he, that he's there for us. We've got other things to do that we've got to take care of. People were slipping back into a religiosity. And it was a spiritual climate of half-hearted devotion. People were just doing the minimum. And so Malachi comes on the scene. The first group of people that he speaks to, guess who they are? They're the priests or the, the pastors, I guess you could say, the spiritual leaders. And he, he talks to them down in verse 6. It is you, priests, who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? By offering defiled food on my altar. Verse 8. When you offer blind animals or, or for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. So even back then, you had the religious leaders, the spiritual leaders. They were not bringing to God their best. God exposed that in that community through the prophet Malachi. And it got sort of filtered down towards the people. They weren't bringing God their best either. So God knows that, and he wants to bless his people, and he clarifies something to them in verse 10. He says this, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. 
Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. God's reminding them that there is a portion of tribute that is supposed to be given to him as a king. That's the context. That he's saying, in effect, if you want to honor me as a king, if you want to bring glory to me as a king, then bring my portion to me. It's also known as the first fruits. In fact, the tithe is really a way of kind of creating a rhythm for the first fruits of our lives to be given over to God. I want to talk about first fruits here as we look at honor and God's portion. And I want to take us into a fascinating story uh, in Genesis chapter 4, the story of Abel and Cain. You guys want to turn there. This is really a great passage to look at. I'm going to pick it up around verse 2. So Adam and Eve are the first parents. They have two sons, Cain and Abel, right? That's, that's uh, who these guys are. And it says in verse 2, Genesis 4, Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. Got the picture? One is a shepherd, one is a farmer. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions, from some of the firstborn, notice that word, of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? What was wrong with Cain's offering? Is it wrong to bring God the, the first fruits of the produce of the land? No, of course not. There's other scriptures on that. Here's the difference. It tells us after a time, Cain brought his offering. In other words, after he had done some things and harvested and, and probably maybe even used up some of those things that he'd harvested, after a time, he brought a portion of what he had seen harvested and he gave it to the Lord. But Abel brings the firstborn. Abel brings the first fruits of his flock and gives them to God. Robert Morris says, this is exactly what's happening here. That the reason that Abel's offering was honorable to God is it came from the top, not from the bottom. Cain held on to things for a while. He brought it and the Lord was saying to him, you know, in a sense, that's a little late. You should have taken the first batch that you'd harvested and brought it to me and that would have qualified as a first fruits offering. Keep in mind, this is all before Old Testament law. These people instinctively knew what to do. It was passed along to them, no doubt, by their parents. So from ancient times, God has always said, bring the first fruit of your increase to me. The first fruits. You can see that in Exodus 23 at verse 19. But look at this verse, Proverbs 3, verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. There's other verses you can look up on the first fruits. Exodus 13, verse 2 and verse 12. And it got put into the law of God that this was a normal practice. That when we have increase, we go to the top of that increase and we give God his portion. And God really, I think, set it up that way. I heard a story of a, of a man who was being blessed uh, in his business and uh, 
he asked his pastor, what am I supposed to do? And the pastor said, well, you're supposed to tithe. He said, okay. And the guy was, you know, this is like decades ago. So he started tithing like five bucks a week. And that was one-tenth of his income. And then his income grew. And, you know, he then gave $10 a week. And then it grew some more. And he gave, you know, $50 a week. And it grew and grew and grew until he was giving a lot of money away uh, as, as a tithe to God. And he started to get nervous about that tithe. And so decades later, as his you know, business was really accelerating and growing even more, he phoned his old pastor up and he said, what am I going to do? I, I, I just feel weird about giving this amount to God every week, and uh, I don't know what I should do. It seems like a lot of money. And uh, is there any options I have? And the old pastor said on the phone, there's one thing we can do. I can come and pray with you. We can ask God to decrease your income. <laughs> and then you can give less. So the story goes. Increase. When we have it in our lives, we want to take God's portion, we want to give it to Him. It's tribute to a king. Jesus is king over all. He deserves everything that we can possibly give Him. That certainly includes the tangibility of our financial lives. So there is this thing called the honorable portion. We call it the tithe. That's the, that's the sort of ongoing name that it got in the Bible. Abraham tithed to Melchizedek. Jacob tithed in Genesis 28. This is before there was an Old Testament law. Then it was anchored into the Levitical law in Leviticus 27 and verse 30. You know, a tithe of all of your increase is to be brought to the Lord. David tithed. In Hezekiah's day, they brought so many offerings into the temple, they had to tell the people to stop. It was ridiculous how generous those people were. And then in the New Testament as well, we see the teaching on tithing picked up in Matthew chapter 23, verse 23. Jesus says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. So he was, he was saying, I know you guys tithe. Now the Pharisees were full-time Bible scholars. They did not have businesses or careers or jobs other than studying the Bible. But what they would do is they had these little grow-ups on the side. They did. They could grow, you know, some mint, some spices, and it would sit in the sunny window, and it would produce a little crop. They even tithed off of those little plants, the increase. They're like, we got to tithe. So Jesus notices that, and he says this. Uh, you give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Then he says this. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Wow. If there was ever a moment when Jesus could have said, please don't think you need to tithe, he could have said it right there, but he didn't. He affirmed it. <laughs> and then he said, guess what? That's just the beginning point. Tithing isn't the goal. It's just, it's just the first step on the ladder. It's, it's, it's easy to do. It's something we should just practice and move into because there's more weighty issues to solve, justice and mercy and all those other important things. But we begin with the tithe. I love that passage. And then in Matthew 22, they brought to Jesus uh, an issue. They said, you know, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? Because we're trying to be obedient to the kingdom of God and, and to the political realm. And Jesus said, give me a coin. Whose image is on the coin, he says? Well, Caesar's. And then he said this, render to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. Render means give. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Pay your taxes. That's honoring the ruler of the state. And then give to God what is God's. 
Pay God, literally, is what it means. Pay God. Really? Pay God? Well, you can't pay him for salvation. It's a free gift. Well, how many know this? Even though salvation is free, maturity is costly. And someone put it this way, the tithe is God's rent payment to him for living in his world, breathing his air, and drinking his water. I like that. The early church practiced tithing. Then, of course, there's the how much more principle. If the law says, you know, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you know, honor your father and mother. If the law says this, that's the minimum, but then Jesus expands on it. And he says, if you just look at a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery in your heart. If you say to your brother, you fool, you've committed murder in your heart. So if the law, if we want to look at it from the law perspective, if the law says we should tithe, how much more should kingdom people go beyond that? That's why we say that tithing is just the beginning. It's the, it's the first step on the ladder. It doesn't earn us favor with God. It's just a way of life in which we posture ourselves for his blessing. Here's the overflow that happens to our lives when we bring the Lord his portion. We become full. Malachi 3, verse 10. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. So much blessing. (laughs) Have you ever had an overflow blessing in your life happen to you where you got so much coming your way you just don't know what to do with it? That's the picture here. And I remember when I was a little kid, I had this experience, and though I wasn't raised in a, in a way to believe these things, I, I, I just didn't know that there was a, a trust in God that you could have over finances or blessing or anything like that. I remember going to our Cub Scout uh, meeting. I was a little Cub Scout with a green hat and a gray shirt. And uh, we, had, uh, we had a weekly meeting, I think it was on Wednesdays. We met in the basement of an old one-room school. This is a small town, Manitoba. And our Cub Scout leader was an RCMP guy. We loved him. I don't know what his name was, but man, did we love him. And you know, back then, the RCMP in our town, they had to do everything. Like, seriously, they were the coaches of the sports. They had to make all the announcements at all the community gatherings. They had to police the area. Uh, They had to be, you know, the counselor to the youth. They had to just have this huge, wide uh, assortment of responsibility. And um, they took on Cub Scouts. And uh, our RCMP Cub Scout leader, oh, he loved us. He loved us little guys. There's about eight or ten of us. We got together in that school. I remember one day he, he brought boxing gloves, and he let us punch each other. This guy is awesome. What a good thing to do for young boys, right? He took us on an overnight hike. Our parents were freaked out. They were like, who does overnight hikes? We didn't do that where I lived. And he took us tenting and all that. And then, as often happened, he got transferred. And we're like, oh, our hearts were broken. So the last night of the Cub Scout thing happens. He gets us together. And he told us the week before, I got something I'm going to give you. And I won't tell you what it is, but just get ready for it. And we're like, okay. So we came in, and we did all the Cub Scout things. And at the end, he said, I won't see you guys. I'm I'm moving now. Uh, But I got something to, to pass on to you. And he went, and he brought this huge sack. It was about this big. And he just took it, and he opened it up and dumped it out, and all of these orange gumballs came bouncing out on the concrete floor. Dozens and dozens and hundreds of them. He said, they're yours. Jump on them. So we started stuffing them everywhere in our pockets, in our hats. You know, we used them in our shirts, put them in our boots. We had rubber boots on. And we went home. I think I had about 25 gum eaten by the time I got home. 
I just had this massive arsenal of orange gum. And the next week we brought it to school and we're like whispering, hey, I got orange gum. We're passing it under the desk. The whole classroom gets orange gum. That was an overflow blessing. And it came out of the loving heart of a guy who was probably about 24 years old who just said, I'm going to make a difference in this little town. Wow. I think that's like God's heart. I think God looks at us and he says, I want to bless you guys so much. I want you to see that I can open up windows in heaven and storehouses and I can actually release things to you that will change your life. All you got to do is honor me. All you got to do is bring me the glory that is due for me. I remember when I was saving up to go to Bible college and I didn't have a lot of money. I was working in, uh, in, in a warehouse in Calgary for a big retail company had a very good job, not bad pay, but I couldn't save enough. At least I, I didn't think I could save enough. And I already made the decision I'm going to Bible college. I'm now engaged to Marianne. We're trying to save money. And I thought, well, I should go get another job, right? That's what you do. You work two jobs to save up. And I wanted to have so many thousand dollars put in the bank by the time we moved to Regina where we went to Bible college. And I wasn't getting there fast enough. So I prayed about it, and I thought, I'm going to go get a second job. And I went looking for a job. And I handed out my resume at all kinds of places. Never even got an interview. I tried so much, I finally felt frustrated. I gave up. And I said, Lord, how am I supposed to save for the future? How am I supposed to have enough for tuition and a move and an apartment and, and books? The thought came to me, you don't have to work harder. Just ask for a raise. I thought, oh, that's... That's a thought. So what do you got to lose, right? So I went upstairs in the big warehouse and knocked on the door of the, of, the, of the head guy, and his name was Blaine, and I sat down with him. I said, you know what? I've been working here three years. I've increased in responsibilities. I don't know what people get paid. I don't care. But I, I, I just think, you know, I, I think I should get a raise. Can I get a raise? He said, absolutely. And he gave me a $1.50 an hour raise. He walked out of one room, went into the personnel office and said, give this guy a raise. And he says, now get back to work. <laughs> like, wow, that worked really good. So a year went by and I asked for another one. I went up there, knocked on his door again. Same thing happened. I got another raise because they had heard rumors that I was going to leave and go to, go to Bible college. They wanted to keep me, and they gave me another raise anyways. Wow. And God showed me by that. He showed me this. Not always do we have to work harder. Some things are just given to you out of God's immense storehouse of blessing. And I want to say that to those of you who are facing some financial pressures. You might be thinking to yourself, well, maybe i got to work 60 hours a week or 70 hours a week or 80 hours a week. And maybe there's a, a week or so where you have to do that to get through. I understand that. But I want to say to you, ask God for his blessing. Ask him for it. Ask him for increase in other ways. He can surprise you with Certain blessings that can come your way and they will be immense and they will be powerful. But you got to honor him. Honor also means we'll become fearless. Did you know that God has not given you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of love and power and of self-control? If we're fearful in our lives, in the area of finances, there's something wrong there. There's something that God needs to get his presence over. There's something that we're not trusting him with. And I've done a little bit of research on this, and I'll share that with you in a moment, but I want to read verse 11. It says, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. 
God promises us to have a protection over our lives so that the devourer does not come. So that our lives can be lived free of financial fear. Now, some of us might need to make some wise decisions about some things and and adjust some things in our lifestyle, but we still need the protection of God. Here's the research I've done. I looked up uh, the average amount of credit card debt in our country for Canadians. So the, the average means everybody who's one years of age to 99, right? The average amount of credit card debt in Canada per person is $22,125. Everybody apparently has that amount of debt on average. Then I looked at the provinces and territories and, uh, and, and looked at, you know, what's going on there? Guess who's at the top of the list for credit card debt in Canada? Alberta, $27,871. That's how much credit card debt is being carried by the average Albertan. If you're in Fort Mac, it's $37,000. Wow. Okay. We're not saying that to make anybody feel bad. We're saying that to get perspective We're living in a time and in a situation where there's a lot of debt on people. And the pressure and stress that that brings upon people is immense. And I think for a lot of people, they capitulate to that pressure. And they just sort of swim in it. It becomes normal life for them until something gives. Proverbs 22, 7 says, The borrower is slave to the lender. And friends, slavery is not just with a physical chain on your wrist. There are people who are in financial slavery because of some things that are going on in their lives. I think there's enslaved people in our city, maybe even in our church. And the way to get out of that is by honoring God. God rebukes the devourer. Then we need his wisdom. And once we have his wisdom going for us and we're honoring him, then the financial freedom starts to enter into our lives. The Bible says if riches increase, don't let your heart be set upon them. Nothing wrong with riches per se. In fact, we've already looked at how we're really created by God for increase and we should expect that there will be increase in our lives. But we shouldn't set our hearts upon the accumulation of things in this life. And I think that there's some lies that people believe that keep them from honoring God with his portion. Here's one of them. God won't really supply your needs. Just take matters into your own hands. Make your best decision. Or God doesn't care if you get into a lot of debt. God doesn't pay the bills anyways. You do, so get what you want. Or God won't look after you when your income changes, so why bother tithing now? But friends, if we honor him, he will protect the devourer from coming into our lives. In one sense, we cannot afford to not tithe. Because when I spend God's tithe... I miss out on the protection from the devourer. And then we look at our lives and we see cars that break down or washing machines that suddenly break or, or bills that come rolling in that we have no control over. I think that sometimes happens because people aren't living under the protection of God that happens when we honor him with his portion. I think that God really wants to protect us. He wants us to live a life that is free from, from financial fear. So maybe we could start moving towards a a new reality if we're not there. Maybe we could start trusting God, having faith for his ability to care for us, and then honoring him in a way that's tangible and real. Here's the last thing I want to mention about honor. It's that you will become blessed when you bring God his portion. 
You get radically blessed. Malachi chapter 3, verse 12. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. How many of you want a delightful land here in Airdrie? I want it. I'm praying, I'm praying for it all the time. I'm praying for increase in our city, for our businesses, for our community, for those who live here. Praying for God's favor upon this region, this whole area here, not just Airdrie, but beyond Airdrie, to the south, to the north, to the east and the west. Who's going to advance the economic capacity of where we live? We are. It's our job to. We do that through prayer. We do that through wisdom. We do that through encouragement. We do that through solving solutions in our city that need to be solved. And so I'm just encouraging you to engage in all of this, to bring your faith, to bring your serving, and now your generosity to the next level, and to go even beyond that as God leads you and God gives you capacity. So here's the challenge for ourselves. And... uh, I just want to mention a couple things that may be helpful for some of us. Maybe we need to begin to honor God by bringing him his portion. Maybe this is new to us, this whole thing of the tithe, the top first fruits of our income, that first 10%, bringing it to God, giving it to him through his storehouse. Maybe it's restarting where we left off. If we used to tithe, if we, if we were there a long time ago and then we've had a pause moment, we've got to get back to that. I remember when I was first learning to tithe, and I've shared this with you in the past, it took me about seven months. My roommate, Dan, was challenging me. He was well into it, and he said, you know, you want to be a pastor one day? You can't tithe? Are you kidding? How are you going to lead a church, buddy? I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I better learn to tithe now. So at age 24, I came late to it. I learned to tithe. And I started out with just 5%, which isn't a tithe. That's half of a tithe. There is no such thing as a 5% tithe. But I started with 5%, and I gave it to God. And it was hard, you know, and I ran out of some spending money by the end of the month. And three months later, I upped it to about 6%. Three months later, I upped it to about 7%. And then I thought, you know, why not jump in? God was taking care of all my needs. I went to the full 10% on gross pay, not take home, on gross pay at age 24, and I've never stopped. God has always met our needs every single time. We've never gone without. He promises to protect us and provide for us, shield us with his presence. He's kept automobiles going longer than they should have in our family. He's still doing that. He's given us deals in our house to build fences where people came and put up a fence when we didn't have the money for it. God is a God of great provision and great blessing. And some of us might need to just catch up on, on this whole area of honoring God with his portion and some of us, we're, we're already there. This is, this is just the beginning for our lives. We've got other steps to take in releasing generosity and going to the next level. And God will bless us abundantly to do even that. Think about how generous God is. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God did not hold anything back. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how shall he not also along with him graciously give us all things? God is so generous. And when we're living under his presence, his kabod, his glory, when we honor him and we give him glory, even through the offering of what he's poured into our lives, 
it brings him great respect. And then he showers us with his goodness and his love and his protection. I just got to say to all of you, your generosity is making a huge difference. Way to go. Way to go on your faithfulness in this area. Way to go on looking for ways to be a blessing to others here in our city and in our world. You're practicing it and amazing things are happening. And I know that many of you are walking more and more into a lifestyle of faith in this area. And God is increasing things in your life, giving you greater capacity. I just affirm you in that. And I also want to say to you that as you give faithfully, you know this, the whole mission of God advances. The gospel is preached, lives are touched, the church is strengthened here and internationally and globally. We get to be part of that. So I want to pray for a blessing upon us right now. I'm going to ask you guys to stand. And depending on where you're at this morning, you may sense from God that he's got something that he wants to do in your heart to bless you. And I, I don't know what that is. It might not even be related to this talk that I gave you today. But I just want you to be in a posture of receiving from him right now. So if you want, just put your hands up faceward towards heaven as a posture of receptivity. And in a moment of faith, just say, Lord, I'm, I'm ready to engage you here. I'm ready to receive from you and I'm ready to give to you. Because I know that when I honor you, my life will be filled up with blessings and I can live fearlessly in this world as you provide increase into my life that leads to impact and overflow and generosity. So I just want to receive all of that and I say to you, Lord, I'm in. I'm in to the next steps that I need to take. I pray that your strength would help me to make wise choices over my life for my future and the future of my family. And I pray that I would trust you and never doubt that you, you, God, are my provider. I work with my hands, but it's you who provides. And in that great revelation, I rest in you. Thank you for the goodness that you're pouring into me through Jesus. God, I pray that I would steward it well. And I pray that I would be faithful in the little things, in finishing off commitments that I've made, in blessing others, in being a blessing. All for the sake of Jesus. And his amazing kingdom, I pray these things in his name. Amen. Amen. God's blessing be upon you, friends, as you go out this week. Know that He's with you. Tune into His presence and love on Him. And our ministry team will be up here at the front if you have a need in your life. Come on up here. Let us minister to you. We'd love to bless you today. God bless you. We'll see you soon.